Welcome, welcome, welcome into the QC Hornet's Nest, a new podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone, and each week we'll have the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, first thing, let's just recap a little bit where we're at right now in the season. You know, about eight games in as the Hornets get ready to start their road trip out west uh, for the next week or so. I mean, they begin in Golden State playing San Fran against the uh, Warriors and Steph Curry, the hometown hero. And they kind of go from there to Sacramento. And then from there they go to L.A. to play the Clippers and the Lakers on back-to-back nights before ending their road trip next week in Memphis, a team that they have trouble with because of their inside height. So the Hornets have been a little bit up and down so far. You know, they've had a really good start. And they did it without – the leading scorer from last year and one of their team leaders, Terry Rozier, which is obviously very favorable. And you kind of commend them for the way they kind of started the season. The last couple of games, though, they kind of alternated wins and losses. It's been win-loss, win-loss. And it started with the Boston game um, in overtime, losing that game where they didn't finish the game at the end. They were up by eight late in the fourth quarter and couldn't close it out. And they went to Orlando and handled business there. And then two days later, they went to Miami and got smacked around by the Heat. They made a good comeback, kind of fought back, to kind of make it a game in the second half there. But, you know, that, that was a tough loss for them. Then they bounced back and have a really good game against Portland at home two nights later. And you're saying, okay, maybe these guys are back to where they should be. They got Terry Rozier in the mix, and you kind of feel like maybe they're getting their rhythm going. But – as we saw, uh, you know, on Monday against the Cavaliers, they just can't seem to get up to better starts. That's one of their main issues right now is these slow starts. And, you know, ask James Borrego about it, ask the players about it. And really, um, you know, they're bothered by it. They really don't have any answers other than to say, like Moss Bridges said, he feels like they're kind of waiting for teams to kind of come out and almost like lay down. And teams are kind of coming out and punch them in the mouth first, and the Hornets have to take a while to respond, and they can't play that way. You know, they were able to kind of win a couple of games and get to that 3-0 start, the best start in team history. Um, but then since then, they've been a little bit up and down, you know, going to 5-3, and three, going to their West Coast trip beginning Wednesday out in the Bay Area. So the Hornets looking good, but there's still some question marks you want to see answered, and one of them – really begins with LaMelo Ball. He's playing well, but shooting three-pointers, that's been like his 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 main improvement. Also a little bit of his floor vision. But a couple of things he has to still continue to work on. One is turnovers. He's making them at the wrong moments. The second thing is he's making ticky-tack fouls and getting in foul trouble way too early. And he's fouled out in two games so far. And in a previous... Um, instances he's got a couple of he picked up two fouls basically in the first few minutes of the game had to sit for a long period of time and that hurts the Hornets Ish Smith playing behind LaMelo is great there's you know it's just doing his thing out there but LaMelo is the you know the straw that kind of stirs the Hornets drink if you will and when he's not out there for long periods of time and Teams are making comebacks or they're out there making runs and feeling themselves. 
you want your, your big dog, your horse, to kind of be able to kind of come back in there and settle things down and show the other team kind of who's boss. But LaMelo has been in foul trouble, and the Hornets need him to, to cut that out. I actually asked him about it after the game against the Cavaliers, and he said, you know, they're kind of silly. Silly fouls. He has to stop them um, because, you know, he knows they're hurting the team. So if, if he can cut back on these turnovers and stop the silly fouls a little bit, I mean, he's on his way because the past couple of games leading to the Golden State game on Wednesday, he scored 25 or more points in back-to-back games, which he had never did before in his career. So he's showing the growth that the Hornets want to see from him. But now it's time for him to go to that next level. So it's going to be interesting watching him on this road trip because, again, you have Golden State, you have Sacramento, then you have Los Angeles Lakers and the Clippers. These are all teams that you know have good backcourts and teams like to play with a fast pace. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how LaMelo is able to handle that and how the Hornets kind of fare on this five-game road trip. All right, now it is time to open up the QC Hornets Nest mailbag, where each episode we will take the reader questions that you guys submit, and I will answer them here for you. So today's question is from at Wind Whispering. The question, how much do you think it will cost the Hornets to not get the miles extension done before the season, twenty million or thirty million? I'm gonna say probably somewhere right in between. It's at least twenty million because Miles, at this point, the way he's playing right now, is worth at least three figures, meaning a hundred million dollar contract. So, if Jared Allen got a hundred million dollar contract, and you know guys like Miles Bridges' buddy Jaron Jackson can get that kind of deal too then Miles deserves that kind of money as well. So the Hornets, I guess you could say it kind of cost them, per se, money to not sign Miles to extension um, before the season began because now they can't do it until after the season. But the other perspective is this too. The Hornets have been burned by giving big contracts previously to people who haven't panned out. You can argue that – Cody Zeller was one of those people. You know, you could argue that, obviously, <laughs> Nick Batum, his, number, his numbers on the book still right now, his contract's on the book still as we speak, to, stretched to because the Hornets just didn't have a use for him, and he's out with the Clippers right now doing his thing. But the point still is, is that if the Hornets maybe gave Miles some, some coinage earlier, Maybe things aren't going the way they are right now. Not saying that Miles wouldn't play hard. Not saying that at all, because Miles is going to play regardless. But I think what happened is maybe it gave him even more incentive to go out there and show them, like, you know what? They say they love me. They tell me that they really want me to be around. I've been there longer than anybody, but let me go out there and show these guys exactly how much I'm worth. So Miles has done that and then some. And if you're the Hornets, Hey, did it cost you some extra money perhaps to see him do this, not sign him to extension? Yes. But on the flip side, again, you're seeing Miles play at an incredible level right now. And he told me specifically himself before this whole thing even went down that he wants to be around. He wants to be around 
the Hornets for his entire career. So I don't see Miles going anywhere, barring something crazy happening. And I'm sure at some point it's offseason, whether it's a, another team gets him an offer or it's the Hornets themselves having to go ahead and just, just, just offer up the money for him. Regardless, Miles will get paid. And I think both sides will look good at the end because the Hornets got what they want in terms of Miles playing at a credible level and Miles got what he want in terms of getting even more money. So we look at it that way, it's pretty much a watch. Thank you for the question submitted. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with us and we'll do this mailbag again next episode. Welcome back to the QC Hornets Nest. I am joined today by my first guest. I want to welcome in Mr. Marlon Garnett. He is a coach for the Hornets, part of JB's staff. And this is his first year with the team. So first, first of all, sir, welcome in. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, well, first, just tell us about your career a little bit, man. Where did you come from before you got the job with the Hornets this past summer? So the past three seasons, I was with the, the Atlanta Hawks. Prior to that, I was two seasons in Phoenix. And then before that, one season with the Spurs. Ended up playing my playing career to 2013. Was coaching a small uh, charter school out in Monroe, Union Academy, and teaching middle school PE until I got my job back in NBA with the, with the Spurs back in 15-16 season. So a year there, two years in Phoenix, three in Atlanta, and now back around the block here in, uh, in Charlotte. So you at Monroe? You out in Monroe? I was, yeah. There was a there was a high school there that my my wife actually was the online coordinator, and the headmaster there was uh they they were looking for athletic director actually, and in the conversation, my name came up with my background of, of playing. My wife mentioned you know my husband played basketball and whatnot, and she said that the headmaster's eyes just got really really big and basically said I I need to talk to him and called me and wanted me to come for an interview like the next day. Wow. Didn't end up getting the AD position, which rightfully so. I had no business trying to be an AD. I had no experience in that area. But after being there, it was a job that I could have done. You know, it was a small 1A school, uh, but they still, they needed a basketball coach. And so she was interested in trying to get me there. So what they did was created the, um, the sixth grade middle school PE teaching position so I was teaching middle school PE and health for the salary. And then I was the head basketball coach. I mean, that's crazy, man. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So what's it like to be back here now in Charlotte as a pro basketball coach now on JB staff? It's, it's, it's been great. It's kind of full circle for me um, because so I'm originally from the West Coast from Los Angeles. And my wife and I decided back in 2007 we wanted a lifestyle change so we ended up buying a house in charlotte um, out in union county in weddington so when jb originally got the job back in what was that 2018 i had just finished those two years in in phoenix and we talked we spoke about the opportunity maybe of of me joining his staff when he was first coming in because we worked together in san antonio so that one year i did in san antonio um, JB and I were, were there together. So happened of one day apart, 
that an ex-teammate of mine at Santa Clara, who I had known for 25 plus years, Lloyd Pierce, ended up getting a Hawks job. So to be honest with you, all the boxes checked for me to go to Charlotte because I had been there for since 07, well, like eight, 10 years at that point. And, you know, I had settled roots there, had the house there, you know, acquired friends and whatnot. But it was more of the loyalty to my my teammate and my friend to go help him kind of start up the, the Hawks organization with a, a young group there. You know, we had some pretty good draft picks with Trey Young and Kevin Hurd that first year. And then we and Omari Spellman as well, who didn't um, who didn't stay after that first year. And then the next year we drafted Cam and DeAndre. Uh, so the three years there were, were great. And I joke with JV now that I'm here that we should have did this three years ago. <laughs> the opportunity. So it's just been great. It's been refreshing, you know, to come back to a familiar area. I know, I know the Charlotte area again, I've been there since 07. Um, and quite honestly, the staff or a number of people that, you know, I had connections with JB again, being that I worked with him that one year in San Antonio, Dutch Gately as well, one of our other assistants, uh, and Jay Triano, who I was his assistant in Phoenix when he took over as the interim in our second season there after uh, Phoenix got rid of Earl Watson. So it was a lot of familiar faces and just a good group of guys. You know, the staff has, has been phenomenal, you know, just connecting and welcoming me. Um, allowing my adjustment to be to be smooth and that that transition. So you know, I jumped in, you know, both feet in, and you know we're off to a pretty solid start. So hopefully we can just continue to build off a little bit of success that we had in these first eight games. Well, I guess technically you replaced, I guess, our guy Ron Norred on the staff, right? Um, I mean, if you look at it from a yeah, from like right. a position position type of type of bases that that would be I guess correct right so what is your like day-to-day job like what do you what is your job on JV staff consist of so as a a job description obviously an assistant coach um more specifically I'm assigned to a couple players um Kai Kai Jones and and LaMelo from a player development standpoint I do scouts which it's more on the defensive side of the basketball. So I guess you can say I'm more defense. So I'm really connected with uh, with Dutch and with Chad Iskew, who is our, our defensive coordinator. So the responsibility is probably more defense. But, you know, in basketball, it, it moves. It, it's a fast game and both sides of the basketball. You just cannot help watching them both. So when I'm watching our, our games after, I'm focused on the defensive concepts that – you know, we want to improve upon, but I find myself still watching the offense as well. Um, just so you have talking points and teaching points for, you know, the players that you, you're assigned to as well as collectively as a group. You know, you never know when you may sit down with another guy that's technically not the guy you're assigned to, but you may have a connection with them. And um, I know the cliche of it takes a village it applies in basketball as well with a team. So you you don't want to be pinched hole and these are my guys. No, we're, we're all in this together with one common goal to, you know, win basketball games and down the line, ultimately win a championship. And you mentioned you work with LaMelo and Kai. There's obviously two different perspectives. You have a second year player 
who's mm-hmm. on the rise. You have a first-year rookie who's not getting a lot of playing time. Um, just can you explain what you do with those two guys and how you're trying to help them improve their games? Well, a lot of it is, you know, I kind of I, I look at I have a player development back, background, you know, from the other spots that I was at. So have a lot of experience at, in, in that area. But um, I look at it like kind of threefold, evaluate, motivate and develop. So obviously the evaluation piece is you see what these guys can do, how they can help and how it fits the team. And then the um, motivation side is you see what buttons helps to, you know, push to get these guys to fall in line to what we want to do as a team. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not good enough to do specific things that you feel like you, you should be doing on the basketball floor, but what do you need to do to help this team? Um, so just finding those little nuances and intangibles with those two guys, you mentioned that different positions, you know, you got a big and you got one guy that's a guard. But I think the experience that I've had in the past has helped me to be able to touch both of them. So, and it's, it's not a one-way street. I tell those guys, I, I encourage them to give me feedback on how I can help them and um, what they feel like they can get better at. And then we can collectively come together and, you know, find the, the best process for them to be successful. Then since you work with LaMelo, what were your impressions of him before you got here? And now that you're part of your staff and you work with him on a daily basis, what has changed if anything that you see with the, him? The biggest thing that, I, that I've seen with him, and it's not even basketball related, is he's just a, a fun person to be around. He's, he's very jovial, always has a smile on his face, and it just makes my job easier because – you know, when I come in, I, I can coach in an environment that's that's relaxed, that's fun, that's refreshing. It's not always like having to try to pull two you know teeth from him. At least I have his attention right away just because he has a passion and he feels like he wants to be there. He loves basketball. So like a sponge, he's ready to learn. And, you know, we take the we take the clips, we watch the film and we break it down. We get on the floor and we just try to help him. And then just, I guess, last thing, can you explain to me, you guys obviously on this road trip out here in the West, um, you know, four games in California, then one going back home in Memphis. On a road trip like this, as a coach, what are you doing um, to kind of help the team through this long road trip, if anything? So it's a lot of prep. I I tell people all the time as an assistant coach, well, really, as – if you travel, if you're if you're a part of an NBA team and you're on the traveling like group and you go all the trips, this job is not conducive for getting a proper amount of sleep, and <laughs> and if you have a family because you know you're away so much. Um, highly caffeinated job, whatever your your drink of choice is, coffee or uh, uh, I know Celsius has like a lot of people are taking that. Um, but specifically to basketball. So tonight would basically consist of me getting ready for the next scout that I have, which is a few games down the line. Um, I've already finished up watching the game that we had yesterday. 
just so you have information when you meet with these guys. For me specifically, Lamelo, Kai didn't play, but you try to be creative and find, you know, maybe clips from another game that fits his development plan that you can sit down and watch or a comparable player that may have minutes and you can pick those situations and scenarios that you can teach him through and still help. Um, and then tomorrow morning, there'll be a, a coaches meeting with the defensive group, since that's kind of more the, the side of the basketball that I'm responsible for. And then there's a, a coaches meeting with JB with the game plan. And then we meet with the players to go to shoot around and get the prep going there. And then it's back to the hotel, to the game. Then we're on a bus to go to SAC and it's the pretty much the same process. So when it is my scout, it's kind of a lot of layers happening all at once where you're watching the game that we played because that's important. You want to have teaching points that you can help support for JB. So when he presents to the team, you want to have teaching points for your individual guys that you're assigned to. And then if it's your, your scout, you have to have the prep for, for that particular game. And once that game is over, it's that revolving cycle. So once you finish that game, so for example, I have the Memphis scout coming up and New York right after that. So I have a little bit of a window, but it's watching Memphis previous games to start prepping for our game here in the next, what, three or four, I think three, three games until we, we see those guys. Yep. Um, so it's a, I mean, it's a grueling process. The NBA schedule doesn't help when you're playing every other, every other day and you have back-to-backs thrown in there in the mix. So those games, they, they come on top of each other really fast. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work, you know, when you're passionate about what you do. Basketball has been a part of my life, you know, as I played for a long, long time. So it doesn't always feel like work, even though it, it, it can be overwhelming at times. Hey, well, you came with some incredible knowledge, man. Your your background <laughs> is is really interesting because I had no idea that you had ties to the city before mm-hmm. you got this job. So now it's like I said, it's just just all come together for you, seems like right about now. Yeah. Again, full circle. It's it's great to be back. Um my mom actually moved to to Charlotte like it's probably five or six years after we did. So she's been she's been around. She actually she lives right down the street from the high school. Union Academy that that I was coaching at. Again, the comfort level is is there. Um, Charlotte is such a great city. It's probably one of the best decisions that we made to to move there prior to having kids. Just a great place to raise a family, and we, I mean, we're pleased to be there. Well, it's uh, it was great to have you on as my first guest, man. I really appreciate you giving me some time and some knowledge, and just thanks, and hopefully I can have you on again. Let's do let's do it again. Let's do it again. Uh, I, Anytime. I, de- I definitely will, man. Thanks for giving a joint, man. I appreciate it. No problem. You take care now. I mentioned earlier to start off the podcast that the Hornets are out west for this long four-game road trip in California add a fifth game to it going to Memphis. This is going to be a really tough trip for these guys. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see exactly how they fare because 
the level of competition, just the level of comp out here, period, is just going to be tough for him. You know, start with Steph Curry and those guys. We know, again, they're at the fast break, score a lot of points, get up and down the floor. You know, the Hornets are going to be able to match that intensity and be able to go out there and try to beat these guys. You know, then you go to Sacramento, a team that's pretty much you've been able to kind of beat the last couple of years, but <laughs> the team that still is not an easy gimme win. You know, you got De'Aaron Fox, <laughs> somebody like him back there doing what he does in the backcourt. It's not a gimme win whatsoever. So then you go to L.A., you play the Clippers, then you play the Lakers on Monday after playing the Clippers on Sunday. So that is not an easy stretch. And again, again, you go to Memphis after that on Wednesday, it's just going to be tough for, you, for the Hornets. But it really is just actually a taste what they're up for this entire month. The schedule in November is really, really brutal for them. Besides this five-game road trip, we just want to get back home to have a four-game homestand. As you guys know, I think it's four home games so far. And it seems like every time they have a home game, it's back on the road essentially a day or two after that. So when they come back from this road trip after finishing in Memphis on Wednesday, they have a four-game homestand beginning with the Knicks. And the Knicks, again, not a gimme win because they're actually one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference right now. Then they play Golden State. So you see Steph Curry twice in like a, you know, a two-week span. And then after that, you see the Wizards, the division rival, who's actually playing a little bit better than you right now and probably surprising many uh, people out there. And then you finish off your homestand with the Pacers, a team you beat in the opener, but had to make a dramatic comeback to be able to do so. So then after that, you have a back-to-back where you go play Atlanta, after playing the Pacers, and then a day off before you go play in Washington. So this month of November is not going to be easy for the Hornets. They're going to have to earn lots of these victories. And obviously you, that happens in any game pretty much, but for the Hornets to come out of here with a winning record in November, if they're able to do that, then that should tell you a lot about just where they're going this season because the schedule is really, really tough. We're going to see exactly just how good – they are how good they can be right away. So if you want to wait till maybe Black Friday or so, you should have a good answer about where the Hornets are at come Black Friday. So one thing I want to be able to do is, is drop some stats on you guys. I know a lot of people out there are stat heads. So here's a stat for you stat heads, okay? The Hornets are leading the league in scoring. They scored 940 points, 940 points in eight games. They averaged 117.5 points in those eight games. And on top of that, they made at least, again, at least 10 three-pointers in each of those games. That's kind of absurd. So once again, it shows that the Hornets are not only a very um, high-scoring team, but they also are a team that likes to shoot three-pointers. We've known that previously, but this says it all. If they hit those three-pointers, they're hard to beat. But if they don't hit them, then we see that they got to find ways to get points inside, and it hasn't been easy for them to be able to do just that. So the Hornets are just scoring the ball at a crazy rate right now. And, And on top of that, 
I mentioned three pointers. Terry Rozier is just the seventh, seventh player in franchise history to reach 400 or more made three pointers. He's the fastest person to do that. Took him just 135 games to hit 400 plus three pointers. So Terry Rozier is well on his way to climbing the Hornets all time three point May field goals list. And if he, if he goes at this rate, he'll be at the very top pretty soon. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the QC Hornets Nets. I'm Rod Boone. For more Hornets content, check out charlotteobserver.com. And for a special subscription offer, click the link in my stories where it says support my work with a digital subscription. All right. Until next time, we out.